windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, Sandos and the sidekick with you. A couple of previews, ETSU men's basketball tonight, Wednesday versus the Bulldogs. And for the ladies, they'll be back at Brooks Gym. They got their first two Southern Conference games of the year. The first versus the Furman Paladins. We'll talk about the Wofford contest on Friday show leading up to Saturday. But uh, remember, the women, it's hard to believe the men, like, five, six games in or whatever it is in the Southern Conference playing for the women. They have less teams, so it takes a while to get into league play. But the first conference game of the season for head coach Brittany Zell, we'll talk about that, the men and the women. Failed downs. And what do we got, top 25? Top 25. All right, there we go. There's the show. Let's start off ETSU men's basketball. The one thing uh, you do know, one, ETSU leads the series 13-1. The other thing you probably should know is it always seems like the game goes to overtime. Or it's a tight something or another. It has not been an easy road for ETSU, but they do. If you just looked at 13-1, you go, oh, yeah, they dominated the series. They probably have blown them out several times. And there's been one or two. But for the most part, this has been a tightly contested series. Yeah, there's, like you said, uh, nine matchups between Coach Forbes and Sanford since he's been at ETSU. Only two of those have been separated by more than ten. Those were both the ones in 2018 ETSU really when they've been able to separate themselves and even when they haven't how they've won these games that have been tight free throws just being aggressive offensively getting to the line 19 plus free throws in eight of the nine matchups with Forbes at the helm and I think probably my favorite memory and it wasn't even a memory of mine but looking back certainly one of your favorite memories from the series and I think one that I look back upon and wish I was involved with was TJ Cromer 41 points nine made threes and I don't know what kind of memories you have about that game, but certainly I imagine it's one of the better individual performances you've ever seen in an ETSU uniform. He went bonkers. I mean, it, and it, it was early and often, too. It wasn't one of those that was a slow build. Like, he, he went sort of crazy uh, early in the contest, and you just knew. TJ, like a lot of shooters, you know, there's a look in their eye if a couple go down, and you're going, you know, sort of like watching Patrick Good against West Carolina. But you just saw when the first go down – it just seemed like that the basket was like the ocean. I mean, you just throw it anywhere near it was going to go in, and TJ was able to do that. And really, Buck sort of ran away early, and Sanford kind of chipped away there late that made it a little bit closer uh, than what it seemed because it, it's easy to look at that and go, well, if that 41 points, I don't know that you would have beat Sanford. But Sanford, if my memory is correct, just sort of kept closing the gap as the, as the game went along as ETSU able to to pick up that victory but that was certainly a performance and, and TJ has plenty of them I can think of several 
Samford games. The one loss was was actually in Freedom Hall. Marcus Johnson, the seldom reference, uh, in a tie game actually hit a three. Uh, if it wasn't at the buzzer, it was a couple tenths left, and ETSU seemed to lose a lot of games at the buzzer that particular season. Then there was the Gilon Gwynn game that uh, at Sanford to Pete Hanna Center. There have been a double overtime game in the Pete Hanna Center. There's been a couple overtime games, including last year's game in the Pete Hanna Center. Also went to overtime. Now the Bucks ended up winning by nine in that one, 81-72. But it just seems like it's, uh, for whatever reason, teams give teams fit. Sanford seems to be that. And I think it all starts with the talented point guard who's been there for 14,000 years and Josh Sharkey, and he was a animal his freshman year. I remember, I think Brian Collins was still on the staff. Penny's now at Tennessee State. I remember him wearing out DeSante Bradford that he is losing to a freshman. A freshman is picking his pocket and making him look bad. And let's be honest, not many guys made DeSante Bradford look bad, but Josh Sharkey's made a lot of people look bad. He's the all-time leading assist man in school history. He's the all-time leading steals man in, in school history. In seven matchups versus ETSU, 48 assists. 21 steals so he's averaging three steals a game and almost seven assists per contest he had a 14 assist game last year well those stats are impressive but the three steals per game actually less than what he's averaging this year because he's averaging 3.4 per game like you said there's no shame in having your pocket picked by Josh Sharkey especially this year he's gotten better and better as he's gone along he's the national leader in assists or pardon me number two in assists national leader in steals coming into this game you mentioned the seven matchups he's been in the one stat that stands out to me oh of 16 from three and that's a strange one that was the stat I was going to throw at you I don't know if you'd saw that now he's not necessarily an incredible shooter now he's a very good scorer but still oh of 16 it's that incredible. was a stat that jumped out at me that I, I asked Kevin Brown I said uh I are said, you sure I said with, <laughs> I said hey I said without looking how many threes do you think Josh Sharkey has hit and he goes well I know he scored, you know, whatever it was, 67 points. He goes, I, right. bet, I bet 24 of the 67 points come from three. So what is that? He's doing the math, you know, eight threes. I'm like, <laughs> you're overthinking it. Zero. Yeah. Zero, buddy. And he looked at me and I said, trust me, I'm coming down here to make sure you click the right buttons. Right. Because, again, he's not a great three-point but you'd assume in seven games, 16 attempts, something's got to fall for you, right? I mean, I, w- I would assume. But you that, would that's think impressive. So. Yeah, you would think so. And, again, he's not necessarily – that's not where – his bread is buttered necessarily. Um, I mean, you look at his stats this year and, you know, from three, shooting 33%. So I guess you'd call him maybe a below average to semi-average three-point shooter. He really does a good job attacking and going inside. And much like ETSU has done against Sanford in the matchups under Steve Forbes, getting to the line, he's top 15 in the country in free throw makes and attempts. Going back to TJ Cromer for a second, you know, you mentioned that ETSU was kind of running away with the game against Sanford in that postseason matchup. I think it was March 5th, 2017, when Cromer dropped 41. It was still only a nine-point game. So it seems like it's tough to be able to open up a big gap and maintain that against Sanford for whatever reason. Now, I think the big thing that we have to watch for tonight is the Bucks' opportunity to get the offense back on track. And, and that would be storyline number one regardless, I think. But considering that Sanford just gave up 105 to Chattanooga. And ETSU is averaging 85 points per game against Sanford under Steve Forbes. Now, you said it. They've taken ETSU to overtime three times, which, again, just seems strange considering the success of ETSU and how Sanford has largely been a middling conference team. And you already talked about the one win. That's 71-68 to victory in Murray Bartow's last year for Sanford. Uh, I just think it's a great chance considering – 
what Sanford's coming off of. I mean, 105 for Chattanooga, that's just otherworldly for, for them. They're celebrating long into the week, you know, for that kind of performance. Um, but ETSU, with their struggles recently, I, I think the game plan has to be the same tonight as it seems to have been and what the results have shown it's been against Sanford for the longest time now. Attack the basket, go inside. Um, not sure about Jerome Rodriguez's status. You know, Coach Forbes, we can hear from him from a second on this, but on the coach's show, he kind of alluded to it. Um, and so I'm not sure if he's going to play, but I think the guards can have their way as long as you do a good job holding on to the basketball against Josh Sharkey because, as you said, he's one of the finest pickpockets around. It, it's amazing to see. There have been three different times the Bucks have had a double-digit lead, either at halftime or in the second half, and Sanford's forced overtime. And last year, no difference. Like a 15-point lead for ETSU. And then Sanford comes back. I think it was even uh, – I was trying to look it up real quick. I think it was a it was a nine-point lead, four minutes to go. And basically two minutes later, it was tied. And in the last minute 18, neither team scored. And then Josh Sharkey got the first points of overtime, and the Bucks won 11 straight from there. And that's sort of how the series has gone. It seems like ETSU plays well early, gets leads, Sanford maybe just Sharky or just the way it is or, or, or maybe it takes a while for Sanford to sort of find whatever works for them. I think most people remember last year's Sanford game not for the actual game. That was the Carl Hess. Scotty Padgett Carl Hess. <laughs> nose, nose to chest, if you will. And, and you stepping to me? Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm, I'm six, eight and, or 6'9", whatever he is. I'm 6'9", and you're stepping to me? And then I made shirts. It was, I mean, it made everything – that was great about Carl Hess there with Scotty Patrick. Here's Coach Andromi Rodriguez. Day-to-day, um, very cautious with his injury. Um, we've done our due diligence with it here locally. Dr. Mills and Brett Lewis has done an unbelievable job with our training staff. We've been to Charlotte twice to be with the Horns doctor. And so it's just day-to-day, and we're hoping, you know, here soon down the road we can get him back in the lineup. But we're not going to do anything to jeopardize his health or his career. And Jerome's done an unbelievable job of – getting in there and rehabbing it every day and so you got to remember now we played this week then we got a whole week off before we play chattanooga so this would be a good time for him. if that tells you anything soon here down the road plus alluding to the week off coming up it sounds like jerome not going to play no official word has come out but it certainly seems like it's more of a rather than day-to-day maybe week to week that being said that makes it all the more important that joe hugley continues to step up uh lucas goussant needs to be strong inside uh, now they did lose ruben guerrero from last year who was seven feet 240 or whatever it was but they have added and now he was there last year but he was redshirting jalen dupree from murray state and he's four inches shorter than ruben guerrero but he's averaging just two points and a rebound less than guerrero had in his senior year last year so dupree is going to be a challenge for lucas goussant maybe not height wise but he is very strong six eight two thirty five yeah, and Guerrero against the Bucks had two very good games. Uh, he averaged 16.5 points, nine boards in the two contests, which was above both his averages for the season. And uh, just seemed to be, especially it was the second half, I don't think he scored. Something crazy like in that overtime game, he didn't score, had two points, but then, you know, 16, 18 points in the second half. Like he really got kind of going. And Jeremy Rodriguez and Milad Normas had a hard time managing him. Now, Guerrero's gone. That's the good news. It's a little bit different makeup. And for Rodriguez, I would be shocked if he played today. Obviously, I heard Coach Forbes day today, but I sort of read into that quote that he it's probably not Wednesday. Right. I would hope for Saturday because Carlos Dotson, you need as many post players as humanly possible to try to help slow him down. 
But if not, then he does have that extra time going into the Chattanooga game in the back half of the season. Do I certainly don't think you should rush it. There's plenty of things to go. But um, concerning today, just the style of play that Samford does, it's not as concerning to me. Rodriguez is not in this game. It would be very curious to see. Plus, West Carolina gets its first really good conference test in Timmins Arena tonight against Furman. And who would have thought that would be the game of the day when you looked at the <laughs> schedule the start there? But it is going to be the game of the day. And we'll talk more about that come the mid-major top 25. Here's Coach's thoughts on Sanford. They have good players and a good coach. Um, Scott Padgett, obviously a great player Scott in Padgett. Kentucky, played in the NBA, does a good job. You know, Josh Sharkey's one of those guys that's been around since, like, Francis Alonzo and Fletcher McGee. You know, you never think they're going to graduate. He's averaging 18 points a game. The kid's already got an enormous amount of assists already. Just a really, really good player. I got it right here. I think he's got, yeah, he's got 128 assists already this year. I love Brandon Austin, the big wing. They got transferred from Alabama, played there last year. The Allen kid hurt us last year. Remember, as a freshman, can make threes at 6'8". They got transferred from Murray State, Dupree, who's averaging double figures. They got four guys averaging in double figures. They're going to press. They're going to play man. They're going to play zone because he's a Patino guy. It's going to be a tough game. And I think all of them are going to be from here on out. Mentioned Brandon Austin. He's their shooter, 14 points per game, 40-plus from deep in terms of percentage, as he is for his career. He is this year as well. They don't shoot a lot outside aside from him, and certainly not with a tremendous amount of success outside of Brandon Austin. Though Dupree, again, going to bring him up rarely will go outside but nine of 19 when he does shoot threes so something sneaky to watch uh, robert allen coach talked about he's upped his totals from his all freshman season in the socon from nine points game to 11 but he has kind of regressed in off efficiency excuse me at the offensive end both at the line and from the floor while also rebounding less i think something that really hurt them was before the year myron gordon it was announced was missing the entire year because of an academic issue and if they had him i mean you add that to already four double digit scores and this team could be really dangerous one other area i think etsu can have some success this is one of the only teams one of two in fact in the socon with an assist to turnover margin below one not quote-unquote negative but essentially that means they've had more turnovers uh, than assists so they give the ball away um, or part uh, yeah the assist turnover margin so they are giving the ball away a lot and they're getting a lot of assists mainly from Sharkey I think he's got like 128 of there's like 70 or 80 percent of their assists which is just crazy but the turnovers ETSU if for whatever reason they're not finding a way to get things in the flow offensively in the set, um, they can get out on that fast break and run off turnovers. Well, the last note I was going to mention was Gordon, so I'm glad you touched on that because out of everybody they lost last year, the, the starters, Allen and Austin, Sharkey, all back. Guerrero's not, but you mentioned that, uh, again, coming in and, and doing a nice job, Dupree yep. is averaging about the same. Yep. What they're missing is what Myron Gordon could do. That's the fifth guy in the lineup that if you look at having him in there would would change things dramatically austin and allen had very good games in the pete Hanna center they combined for 29 against etsu but last year in freedom hall they didn't shoot the ball particularly well both just combined for 12 points so i'll be curious to see how those two guys because that was really the difference in them getting into overtime because sharky put up sharky like numbers gordon put up about the same in both buildings guerrero put up the same in both buildings it was really austin and allen that struggled 
which allowed ETSU to, to win uh, by a decent margin and not have to go to overtime for the first time and seem like forever against Sanford. So those are the two guys I'll, I'll be paying attention to I th- tonight. I think you just got to be aware of where Josh Sharkey is if you're being guarded by him. Keep that ball close because obviously he is a master of taking the ball away. Uh, make sure that you step out on Brandon Austin because he can really shoot the basketball. And when you have the opportunity to take the ball away, do it. You do those three things. I don't think there's going to be any issue tonight. Um, 2018, again, was kind of that outlier year where ETSU blew out Sanford twice, and all the other games have been close, hoping for a performance like we saw in 2018 rather than last year. You mentioned it with Scott Padgett and Carl Hess. That game went to overtime, 81-72, like you talked about. So while it's remembered for something else, it also would be remembered, I think, number two in Buck fans' minds behind that, or maybe even number one in some Buck fans' minds, as being a too-close-for-comfort type game. Try to avoid something like that tonight. Take the ball away. Don't let Josh Sharkey game wreck and step out on Brandon Austin. All right, that's our breakdown, ETSU versus Sanford, 6.30 airtime tonight, 7 o'clock tip between the Bucks and the Bulldogs. We'll talk about ETSU women's basketball's first home Southern Conference game against the Furman Paladins. For this time out to hear a word from Sando Sidekick on Van Wagner's Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. There it is. Let the guitar wail, baby. Let it wail. Sanderson's I kick back with you. Segment two, ETSU women's basketball. It's the Furman Paladins coming to town. And last year, uh, both teams, I believe, hold and serve on their home floor. Furman 57-55. And then uh, inside Brooks Gym last year, 75-70. Two tough contests. The thing that stuck out to me, and I mentioned this to Mike uh, before we even came on air, when you think about, front, to me, we think about, Furman Paladin women's basketball and, and where it kind of starts with, they certainly have one of the best post players in the league in Selena Taborn. In the win, she only had three points, mm. which I, I would have gone the other way because in the loss, she had 22. I'm thinking Tabor gets 22. That's a win lockstep every single day for the Paladins, but it was the opposite. She had a big day, didn't get the win. She only had three points. Bucks did a good job on her down. And again, you could see because she was held, there was a low number on the board, 57 points. But still, to me, and and you've done more research in this, but looking at Furman, that has always been the last couple of years, who you need to pay attention to, who you need to stop, your thoughts on that. Yeah, Taborn's a force in the middle. Um, she's only going to play about 20 minutes a game, you know, six foot three. She's a very imposing presence inside. And if you would have told me, as you mentioned, I 100% agree with you, that her and Leger Davidson, who's their star guard, up and coming uh, for you know her two or three years coming into this year and really culminating her career in a strong and fitting way. She's a heck of a player. If you would have told me that those two would have combined to go six of twenty-seven from the floor at Furman, I think you really have a shot. And the Bucks really did have a shot. And quite honestly, that's a game they could have won. It was fifty-seven to fifty-five and an overtime loss where 
in overtime, it was just frustrating because you only combined for six points with Furman, and they get four of them. Uh, just couldn't quite get things going offensively. ETSU, one of eight from Kaya Upton. You know, three of 11 from Erica Haynes Overton, one of eight from Micah Sheets. So, again, on ETSU side, there's some of that too. Sheets, Upton, Haynes, Overton combined to go five for 27, while Taborn and Davidson go six for 27. And you had other players step up. Brittany Snowden, who down the stretch last year for ETSU and now a graduate assistant for the box, was quite honestly their most consistent player at times. 19 points and 14 rebounds on eight of 16 from the floor and for Furman it's somebody they have back that was really the key integral offensive force in that overtime win Taylor Petty six of ten from the field seven of seven from the line and 20 points but yeah Taborn I think is the one that stands out just because she can be that dominating presence but Davidson is someone on the perimeter that can really do some impressive things and she's made 49 threes already this year that's a league high and we talked about Sanford being kind of confined to Brandon Austin doing a lot of shooting of the basketball really for Furman it's Davidson that takes nearly all of their threes it seems like she's 49 of 147 this year so that's 49 of their 96 makes and 147 attempts of their 289 Taylor Petty and Milica Manilovich who's a point guard will take some as well but just 42 of 129 combined from three so you know these teams and you look on paper and say well Furman you know league favorite 11 and 5 you know they've got some really good wins and they've really only lost to teams that they should um, 11 and 5 2 and 0 in the league they broke Mercer's long winning streak of 34 games they beat them 62 to 49 and then followed that up with another victory I believe it was over Sanford by eight points but statistically there's some areas where these two teams look very similar the two best three-point defenses in the league Furman giving up 27 percent ETSU 28 two teams that go to the line and make the most in the conference 265 of 386 ETSU 232 of 343 for Furman those are top 20 marks for both teams in the country and free throws made and attempted but the Paladins have just set themselves apart in terms of efficiency and because of that efficiency scoring the basketball 8% better from the field 8 points per game better than ETSU 7% better from deep as they've made 96 threes ETSU just 63 they're grabbing 3 more rebounds per game allowing 6 less rebounds and we've talked about rebounds extensively for ETSU women's basketball it's because of losing so much post depth it was always going to be a struggle ETSU's minus 8 on the boards this year while Furman's plus 1 and then just sharing because they've got Manilovich and Davidson 14 assists to 9 in favor of Furman so it's going to be a tough challenge you know they're the projected league favorite in the coaches poll they were number two in the media poll but in the media poll Mercer was number one and Furman's already beaten them by 13 and Mercer's three and 15 on the year so you can kind of cross them off the top of the ballot and put Furman there at this point in the season and uh, no question that while some of these games have been close I think the challenge is greater this year because you don't have the individual takeover player in Erica Haynes Overton obviously and Furman kind of at every level can beat you with Manilovich the point guard who's third in the conference in assists per game Davidson who can score at five foot five I believe it is and then you've got Petty and Taborn as you move up further um, into the front court so uh, no question it's going to be a challenge and I'm not sure what your keys are but certainly I think as you mentioned stopping Taborn is one for me Um, but Davidson can really be a takeover player for Furman so marking her with one maybe two people at times is the right thing to do Davidson last year four of 23 from three against the Bucks. Eight of 42 from the floor. So it's 19% from the floor, 17% from uh, beyond the arc. Now, chances are Eric Haynes Overton got that assignment a lot. Can Kaya Upton be up to the task? Because I'm assuming that's going to be somewhat of the matchup. 
I think that's got to be uh, certainly a key. It is seem to be a, a, a inside-outside game for Furman. To me, you can't let both. Like, if Davidson goes off, you can't let Taborn go off. If Taborn's having a big day, you can't let Davidson go off. You can't let both have typical-type games. You've got to be able to try to take one away. Now, which one that is, how that works out, well, you know, I, I don't have that answer for you right this second, but I, I feel like that would be the game plan that I would be doing and trying to devise against. And, again, I think you mentioned the rebounding already. Like, it's just going to have to be gang mentality on the boards. You've got to be able to have everybody – you know, Micah Sheets, I don't think had a rebound the last game in the win. But I, I think, you know, does she need 10? That would be great, but no. I, I think she needs two or three, though. I think got to be able to to get in there and, and help out a little bit. And then the question, I, I would assume foul trouble. That would be the other thing, too, especially with Tabor down low, trying to get her looks. You know, can the Bucks who have been foul prone, stay out of foul trouble and have, uh, again, because our thin, the joke is nine players. It's probably nine players again today. If you get a couple of them foul trouble, now you've got to play a few people probably out of position, then it could be a long night. And I'll flip it. I'll say that ETSU, they're a key rather than not getting foul trouble. Now, of course, you don't want to do that. But if they can get Taborn in foul trouble because she is foul prone, she's fouled out three times this year, four other times she's finished with four fouls, and 14 times in her career she's fouled out. So she is susceptible to that. The problem is you take her away, and we haven't even mentioned Tierra Hodges, who's the reigning Southern Conference Player of the Week just named yesterday. Taborn's production has actually sunk a bit this year. She's right on the borderline of double figures. She was more like 12, 13 points per game in previous years, right around five rebounds per game when she was six or seven. And they're not really using her as much this year, but the efficiency is just impressive because she's leading the league in field goal percentage at 68%. So that's why she can be so effective is because of her efficiency. It seems like every time she touches the ball, if she's got good position, the ball is going in. So if you can take her away, great, but then you've still got Manilovich, Davidson, who can score at five foot five, Hodges at five foot nine. Didn't even talk about Petty, you know. So with Hodges, she's stepped in to take over some of that production that Taborn has dropped off this year. Twelve points per game, nine point six rebounds per game, which is second most in the Southern Conference. So you've got the distributor in Manilovich. You've got Davidson and Hodges who can score on the perimeter and Hodges who can play kind of anywhere. And then Taborn you've got as your download threat. This is just a very balanced Furman team. And so to see the results that they've had this year, uh, not surprising. I think the coaches saw it in the preseason, which is why they were voted as that top team. And under Jackie Carson, who's in her 10th year now, they've had six 500 seasons. But it seems like they're now starting to emerge, and all six of those were in her first eight years. It seems like they're starting to emerge as that favorite in the league. We saw for Chattanooga a long time they had control of the Southern Conference. I think it was five straight postseason titles it was either regular or postseason titles five straight then Mercer of course the 34 straight games because you had Callaway and some very impressive individual offensive players and players that quite honestly were probably uh, a bit above this level right I, I mean with you look around the Southern Conference and Erica Haynes Overton was another another one of those when she was with ETSU you looked and said wow Brittany Zell and company did tremendously to get her here because she is no doubt the best player on the court Mercer had a couple of those that carried them to a lot of team success. And now it seems like with Mercer struggles this year, there's an opening there to be able 
to take that top spot and really clutch onto it and build some consistency at the top. I think Jackie Carson and Furman are about as consistent, it seems like, right now as anyone because of that balance they have at every level. Well, and I think Jackie, obviously a very unique story because, if I'm not mistaken, she's one of the all-time greatest players to play for Furman. Still the second leading scorer in the history. Right, and she got a jersey hanging up there on there. One of just three. And there's a lot of times when you get a player to come back. Sometimes it's nostalgia. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it ends in a – uh, sort of goes down in flames and there were some folks that were questioning two three years ago was Jackie the right person for the job and now you're starting to see turn the corner a little bit now some of that's an I think unfair for a lot of teams because a lot of teams had that because Chattanooga had a stranglehold on everything for two decades now they're not now it's sort of opened up we've seen Mercer there now Mercer's off the perch who's going to be the next team to step up and and take it is Mercer going or is Furman going to be that team you know, you mentioned it there, the one that knocked off Mercer when nobody else had been able to do it. So, And they were in the championship game last year, right? Wasn't that the, the epic sort of final there? Three-point game. And just felt like they had an opportunity. They let it slip. It's similar to maybe what we saw in the men's where the team that lost in the championship game had the last several years has come back and won it. I think it's been four straight times the team that's lost in the championship game the final year has come back to win that. And so – I hope the trend breaks this year in men's basketball because obviously ETSU wasn't in the championship game last year. But is Furman, you know, ready to do that? So I think it's an important game for both teams. For Furman, can they continue to keep the momentum on the road? For Coach Ezell, who's had pretty good success against Jackie Carson over her career, is ETSU coming off the win against West Carolina at Brooks, where they've always seemed to be able to have Furman's number. Will they be able to do that tomorrow night or not? Yeah, and they've been so good in Brooks under Coach Ezell. I'll take the blueprint from – what Furman did to Mercer and say that ETSU needs to excel in the areas areas that Mercer didn't. The Bears went one of 12 from deep in that 13-point loss. They put up just 49 points. Four of eight from the free throw line in their bench was 0 of 11 from the field. I think ETSU needs to have a good shooting day, right, specifically from outside. Anytime you can trade the two points of Selena Taborn down low for three on the other end, you'll take that. Now, who's going to do that? Obviously, Micah Sheets is option number one, and you look across the rest of ETSU's roster, and, I mean, it'd be great to have Ariel Harvey get some of that shooting that she had at St. Bonaventure back. Elise Stafford, it's no surprise that when Stafford scores above her average, ETSU is 6-4 and four this year, and when she doesn't, they're 0-7. So, obviously, just that stat alone tells you her success is so important to the team's success. So Sheets and Stafford have to have good shooting days. Shania Jackson, someone that has not shot the ball up to her expectation and ability this year, 8 of 29 from outside, if she could knock down a couple of threes. Uh, so those are your really main shooting options, Sheets, Stafford, Jackson, and if you could mix in a Harvey or even a Jada Craig or if Amaya Adams will play. Remember, she's got the rolled ankle. You know, that was a day-to-day. She was in the boot up until yesterday and was out of the boot when they when practice came around that second practice yesterday as they went two a days the Bucks preparing for this contest so got to have a good shooting day from outside ETSU has to attack their bread and butter getting to the rim they have been so good at doing so the entire year and converting when they get there attack 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 get Selena Taborn in foul trouble by doing so and then it has to be a total team effort right you can't have O of 11 from your bench like Mercer had we saw what happened with them it's got to be team I mean <laughs> it's broken record but it has to be team effort can't have people take days off for the rest of the year for ETSU. But 
We'll see. 6.30 airtime, 7 o'clock tip. ETSU versus Furman on Thursday. Friday, we'll recap both the men's game versus Sanford, the women's game versus Furman. We'll preview the weekend games for the men and women on Friday. When we come back, our new favorite segment on Santos and the Sidekick. Fail down. Fail downs after this timeout. Santos Sidekick on the Buccaneer. Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three, fail. 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 What yeah, if our colors sure. were the powder blue with, this is like a yellow, this isn't the gold, the powder blue with the yellow? What if? Would you be in favor no. or against favor? No, against anti, favor? anti. Really? You're not a fan of the powder blue? Like the, no, no It kind of looks like the no old uh, Chargers jerseys, those yeah, throwbacks nope. from LaDainian Tomlinson. Nope. No, nope. not at all. Not a fan. Not a fan. All right. First fail. Someone named Garrison Lassiter. Is apparently suing the New York Yankees for $34 million, blaming Derek Jeter for the lack of his success. I'm reading from a Bleacher Report story here. According to NJ.com's Brendan Cuddy, or Cootie, Laster alleged that the Yankees and future Hall of Fame shortstop Derek Jeter conspired against him because Laster was a shortstop and Jeter was afraid to compete against him. Have you ever heard of Garrison Laster? Uh, no. Have you ever heard of Derek Jeter? Yes, uh, I think. He, he was pretty good, right? Do you think it's possible that Derek Jeter, in his inherent wealth, fame, fortune ability, conspired against Garrison Lasseter to not knock him from his perch? Uh, I, I, I think this is valid. Oh. I, I think it's 100% hmm. that uh, Jeter was afraid to compete against him. Okay. I think— uh, A 27th-round pick, yeah. Garrison Lasseter. Mm-hmm. Derek Jeter was afraid—okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just making sure that we're on mm-hmm. the— Okay, I, you got the facts of the story. I mean, I don't see oh. how you don't see oh, okay. how uh, – see, I always fight for the little guy, Mike, so you're not. You're mm, not. You're, right. you're, you don't like the little guy. I like the little guy. And I could see Jeter going to the Steinbergs and go, hey, hey, hey. Let's can you put your thumb on this guy? Out of <laughs> there's, there's a guy in Make some level away. of the Yankees organization who's hitting 210. Did you look up his numbers, by the way? 244 with four home runs in 235 yeah. games. Again, I don't see how you don't mm. see he was a threat to yeah. – uh, no, this is ridiculous, obviously. Uh, I, I All of that in jest. Um I have heard, and there are plenty times where the pro players will either not mentor somebody because they're like, "Look, I, I'm a professional. He's a professional. This is my job. It's his job to do whatever." I, you know, if he would have went with Jeter, refused to help me along the way, or didn't want to mentor me, I would go, "Okay, I could see that because you're trying to take his job." And why would you know? We'd see that with quarterbacks more than anything else, but it happens at a lot of levels. Like why? Would somebody help you take his job in the prime of his career when he wants to make his money too? So I'm not sure all the help in the world from Derek Jeter could have saved Garrison Laster's career at 244 in 235 games. I like where his head's at though. Second fail. I'm not sure who failed in this situation. Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach, compensation terms. You may have seen this floating around Twitter. Certainly fans of the Southern Conference and ETSU 
I think, got word and wind of it on the social media platform that we love so much because the Southern Conference picked it up and so did many others. Mike Leach, um, in his inherent wisdom, hilarity, and Twitter presence, I'm not sure if he overlooked this term or he was happy to have this term in his contract. I'm but sure his agent apparently did. His agent did. A, I don't even know he saw it. A, you're probably right. Apparently $250,000 is an incentive for Mike Leach for winning the Southern Conference Championship game. Read a couple before that just to get it and everybody like so they 50, sort of 50,000 if he named or if he is named SEC coach of the year by the SEC mm-hmm. coaches or AP. So he's still in the SEC there. 100,000 if named National Coach of the Year sure. by all these different places. The one right before it is the one that will probably hammer home the point. $100,000 for a su- Southeastern Conference Championship game appearance, and then 250000 for winning the Southern Conference Championship game. So the Southeastern Conference, the SEC, the mm-hmm. conference that Mississippi mm-hmm. State is in, 100000 I suppose it should be more if you're going to win the championship game of a conference you're not even in. Yeah. I, I, Hard to do. I think it would be great if ETSU played the championship game versus Mississippi State. It would be awesome. Uh, Great I do, for the program. It is a epic fail, and they have been getting crushed. And I'm sure somewhere down the road, somebody's revised the contract since. But it was amazing to see how many people picked up on that. Of course, Southern Conference had a great joke. It said, hey, you know, Hell State, 1921, I think, was the last time yep. you were in Southern Conference. If you'd like to rejoin, there's either ways to do it than to write it in your head coach's contract. So do you think that it's a fail by Mike Leach and his people? Of course, really his people, because like you said, I mean, I'm sure he doesn't even see it. He just says, go negotiate for me. I'm going to tweet out memes about Bears. Um, but is it them or is it the school? Because for, to me, for the school, this is smart because they don't got to pay that $250,000. And for Leach and his camp, that's $250,000 of like, let's see, there's probably about uh, four bullet points, six, eight. There's 11 incentives. There's one. That's 9% of your incentives you're guaranteed not to get. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a fail uh, on both sides. I don't think Leach. I'm going to go Leach's um, agent. Yes, I think it's a fail on him, and then a fail because my guess too is that that's probably been copy and pasted from other coaches. Maybe the figures have changed, but it's probably pasted from the last couple of Mississippi State coaches. I bet Dan Mullen. If you look up Dan Mullen's contract a couple of coaches ago. I almost guarantee you Southern. that that is still Southern and that somebody has just boilerplated the, the copy-paste and it's been on there for a while. And Now, what if he were to win the SEC the championship game? Yeah, the SEC championship game. Well, Sanford, I think – I'm trying to think. I don't think Sanford's ever won the league, but Mississippi State has played Southern Conference teams recently, and I'm wondering – if they would have played somebody who would have won the league and then one of those coaches call back up and go, oh, by the way, it wasn't a championship game. Maybe that's the language they get out of but they say, I did beat the team that won the league. Where's my money? So I'm thinking that if, that's he, what wins, I would do. if he wins the SEC title game, let's just say in some mythical world this didn't get fixed. Of course it did. Right? We're not living under the impression that, indeed, it does still say in his final contract, Southern. But let's just say it did. You have to pay the man if he wins the SEC oh, title. I, I, would I mean, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think Mississippi State would, would do some – at that point, the money, if if they were to win, the money they would generate just to go to, if they weren't in the playoff, to the New Year Day Six Bowl oh, yeah. playoff oh, yeah. would be so great that that would be a drop in the bucket for that. I also think that it's just asinine that Mississippi State included $75,000 for participation in the Birmingham, Las Vegas, Independence, or any other Tier 3 bowl games. And then I saw many people that said, if he's in those bowl games, he better be getting fired, which I think is closer to the incentive that he would deserve rather than $75,000 more. I don't. I, I, again, who are you, Mississippi State? 
are you a tier three bowl team? I would say you are. Apparently, they think so. Uh, well, I would say you are. So that's fine. But then, you but you can't fire incentives if you're already that, right? No, nah, I think you give incentives. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, listen, you could be Arkansas and go, have two wins the last couple of years. I mean, again, where are you? you? You're looking at the national champion LSU Tigers, right? The the multi billion or whatever, in a, you know, Alabama championships. You still have Auburn, who's won championships recently, right? I mean, you're sitting there going, okay. Well, I've got to beat those three teams. Where am I going to be? And I think then, they want to And then you're be... still talking the SECs. I get that. Again, do you want to be Iowa or do you want to be LSU? Where are you, Mississippi State? I think they want to be the Dan Mullen Mississippi State Bulldogs when that actually is just a big outlier for all their years of failure as a football program. I can't, did they win more than 10 games? They won. They didn't win more than 10, I don't believe, but they were like 8-10 to 10 in every season. Okay, so if you get which to, is a lot of success for them, win, I would like to see, and this is for a conversation beyond that. What bowl games Dan Mullen actually went to? I, well, I'll and, and we'll see that. All right, let's go third fail. Third fail. So, I was very fired up about this. Maybe you're not. I'm probably not. Go ahead. But the Titans and Ravens this past weekend. Go Titans. Well, my Titans. Yeah, calm your down. Titans. Calm down. Sorry, don't jump on uh, the train. The Ravens had drives end at the 36, 31, four. 18, 31, 15, 16, and 21 of the Titans. So, in opponent territory, every one of those drives, 36 yards and in, and they ended up with 12 points, and they had the best kicker, who is currently the best kicker, has been the best kicker, percentage-wise is the best kicker, in the history of the NFL, Justin Tucker, at 91% conversions on field goals. Most accurate kicker in NFL history, standing on the sidelines, and he was not used in the vast majority of those situations. 12 points, they lose by 16, Titans go on to the AFC Championship game, while the Ravens has to have to sit, look at their drive chart, scratch their head, and wonder what in the world Harbaugh was doing. Did I know they went for it on fourth, and Lamar got turned away. How many of those did they punt? That's what I would like to know. How many did they choose to punt from instead of a 50-plus yard field goal? And how many? Because I think they went. I know they went for it on fourth on the fourth and one. That was in Titans territory. That was a that strange was, try to sneak off right well, tackle. Well, you know, but he shouldn't have, right? He he should have just followed the center. I mean, they've, they've shown several replays. If he just followed the center, he had a better shot. He decides because it didn't look right to go outside, and you've got no shot in those situations. Like nobody really ever converts bouncing to the outside. But I'd be curious to see how many of the before I give it the fail. I'm getting there. Hold on. I mean, I think. To me, they're all brilliant decisions by Hardball. Why? Because he's a Hardball? Well, no, just because my Titans. Because I mean, you you're know. a Titan. Yeah, yeah exactly. Titans. Yeah, exactly. No, I can't find it. But I know that they went for it like three of those times. And that would have made – it would have been – I remember doing the math in my head saying, okay, it would have been 28-21, and that last drive then would have mattered. Where I don't think they got points on any of the three – where and some of it is it, still dictated by time and score, too. Like, you know, do you feel like you can have enough possessions to kick the field goals to get the ball back? And I don't remember because it went 21, uh, 21 six. 6 at what mark? It was midway third quarter? Uh, roughly, yes. Because Henry broke yep. that big run, then he threw the touchdown pass. Mar right? Jackson sacked at Baltimore 19 for negative six yards and a fumble recovered by the Titans. At 21-6, to six. and then they added another touchdown quickly later. It was 28-6. to six. You had an interception thrown by Jackson. That was in. All right, so no chance to kick there. They did get a touchdown after a Tennessee punt on downs, uh, 10 plays, 64 yards. That was one of them. And went for two on there, down. which was odd. 
One for two. Didn't they? Because they went 21-6 to 21-12. They went for oh, two. Oh, yes, right. Right. I, I thought that was they odd they went for two at yep. that juncture. They did. And then on downs, their uh, second-to-last drive, on downs on their last drive. They also had non-downs uh, on their first uh, okay, so that most of the their fails quarter. are probably early in the game. Then, so early in the game, they had opportunity to put points on the board, and didn't because late you have to, you're down two touchdowns. And then they had one where they went for it on downs, <laughs> or was that the? Uh, it was fourth and one, Baltimore forty five, and Jackson. This is in the first quarter, went for it on downs, and that was in their own territory. So they even yeah. had another yeah. one where yeah. they yeah. went so for they several <laughs> fourth down. Yeah, I, uh, oh, Harbaugh. So here you go. Harbaugh. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with it. That's a fail. Third yeah. fail. Whoops. Fourth nope. fail. ESPN is apparently loading up all of their available assets to hand over to Tony Romo. According to front office sports, Michael McCarthy, the network is ready to offer Romo an annual salary between 10 and $14 million. Just I for can Monday night I can only assume, to, and I'm sure they'll use them for other hits here and there throughout you the week. You mean anyone to pay Booger 10 to 14? 10 to 14 million. The memes of Booger are hilarious. Just all the most obvious John Madden type quotes. In order to, you got to score more points than the other team in order to win this game, blah, 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 blah. But Tony Romo, are they that desperate? And I love Tony Romo. I think Tony Romo is brilliant. But 10 to 14 million for 16 to 18 games? Here's the deal. If I'm Tony... I mean, I let, again, Tony is a guy that and everybody wants more money. Let's, let's just be honest. It's, if CBS is close to that, probably not going to match. But let's just say they're close. Would you not want to stay with CBS, the 4 o'clock game, because A, they're better games. B, you get, a, you get to do Super Bowls. Yeah, man, Super Bowls. As opposed to doing what John Gruden used to do, which was the Monday Night Radio crew would do the ESPN Radio mm. broadcast Super Bowl, which, again, nobody is listening to. Right. Wouldn't you want to do more Super Bowls and actually get bigger games on Sunday, and then you have Monday and the rest of the week off where you know ESPN, you've got to do all the other hits. you got to do that. They're not, CBS is not asking Tony Romo to do anything else other than show up on – Saturday night, meet with some players, some coaches. Sunday, do the game, fly home, do whatever you want. ESPN will—they're getting their fourteen million. I mean, they're going to do that now. Maybe Tony wants to do that. Maybe he wants to do some of the Gruden stuff. Maybe he wants to talk to the coach. I don't know. I think there's more to that than just the dollar amount. But I think it's a—I think it's a fail if Tony goes. I wow. mean, I think it would be a fail to turn down eight figures of dollars to go work for essentially a hundred hours. It's not going to be a hundred hours throughout the year, but you know what I'm saying? Like they show up a few days ahead of time. I get that. They meet with everybody. I mean, again, you're playing with play money. Tony Romo, I'm a guessing financial advisors probably got him good. So if he's looking at 8 million and only working a couple hours and never during the week, and he can see his kids, go play golf, golf. and he loves golf. He can do that. You know, I could see, I could see Tony, but it's easy for me. Nobody's throwing ten to fourteen million to me. I'm jumping at it, and I'm taking every. You know, if you offer me fourteen dollars more at this point, I'm probably jumping ship to go to somewhere else. So, <laughs> I, I'm fine with uh, if he did that. I think for everything else as a broadcaster, if you're asking me, just me as a play-by-play guy, or I'll ask you, would you rather do the four o'clock? CBS game and Super Bowls, or would you rather do the Monday night football game? Well, I think the average viewership of those two times is something like $18 million for the 4 o'clock on CBS to $13 million for ESPN. I also saw people that were just tearing apart Tessator. said, why would you ever want to go from Nance to Tessator? 
I just think that ESPN is probably at this point, and I think the fail is paying this much or offering to pay this much, but I see a little bit of justification in it because they're probably sick, being the worldwide sports leader, right? Uh, they're probably sick of seeing all of the Jason Witten comments and the Booger McFarlane comments over the last couple of years and the sound bites of, you know, Booger the other day. I think it was, um, well, I suppose it was earlier this year, but they pulled one of these sound bites out for this awful announcing article. And it was Booger saying, boy, a lot of those 50-50 plays, you feel like the Vikings have just had the worst luck. The Minneapolis Miracle went against them, and they just haven't been able to catch a break. Well, the Minneapolis Miracle is Case Keenum to Stephon Diggs, and that was quite literally a miracle for Minnesota sports, something that has seemingly I never see, happened and went for them. I saw the meme today. You know, Luke Keekley did his video yep. thing where he's retiring. The first meme underneath that when it was reported was a meme of Booger with his hands out saying, see, when he says he's not coming back and he's retiring, that means he is not going to play football <laughs> next year. And I, I did. I laughed. Oh, I did the same thing you did. I, I mean, oh, I, for ESPN, I think – I mean, brilliant. I mean, they're trying to get the top guy. I get it. I mean, I see why they want to do it. I just personally think that. Uh, so I need to know: it, am I am I judging ESPN for offering that much money, or am I judging Tony Romo when I pick a fail? Uh, if, uh, Tony Romo, I don't think can go wrong. I think you got to be judging ESPN. Ten to fourteen million. That's, that's, a, and, and that's here, a lot of money. Here's another question: How many, how many people, like they've done in the past, how many people they got to fire once they actually pay them that? Because mm. that's what they've had to do recently is pay money to other people, and then basically fire everybody else. What if it's a backhanded stab at Gruden? Because Gruden got $10 million to go be the Raiders head coach, and they're like, oh, we don't need Gruden anymore. See, we got a better guy. We're paying him more money. Tony Romo, he's going to be the next coming, and he's making more money than Gruden. I, I'm getting a little conspiracy theory now, but you know what I mean. So when let's say, ESPN let's say Romo turns him down. You think Booger walks in there and goes, hey, I need my 1.5 a little bumped up there. <laughs> I mean, you got to be kind of insulted if your Booger and Romo doesn't take it. And Booger's sitting there at like a fraction, a small fraction of the cost. I think you're onto something there. All right. That's fail downs when we come back. Top 25 after this on the Buccaneers Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions. Reflect on results and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSMAM 640, The Sports Monster. Wednesday, what is it? What is it? Do you know what it is? What day is it? I have no idea. All right, it's Wednesday, final segment. I do know that. What do we got? Top 25. Mid-major top 25. Gonzaga number one. The Zags still up top. They answered their tight win over Pepperdine by beating San Diego by 44. And LMU by 25. An easy week for Gonzaga, who are still number one in the AP top 25 by a hair. Baylor actually got more first place votes, but by a narrow seven points. They're still number one, are the Zags with Duke also receiving a few first place votes. Liberty number two, the Flames lost their perfect season two weeks back, but came back after their loss to LSU by giving up 127 combined points over their next three. All wins 
Still on top of the Atlantic Sun. Liberty at number two. Northern Iowa number three. A couple of tight victories last week for the Panthers over Bradley and Indiana State, but a blowout of Missouri State moves them from five to three in the poll with a tumble by a couple of other teams. The only Missouri Valley Conference team that is ranked Northern Iowa. Number four, Yale also up two spots. The top representative from the Ivy League. Only a non-D1 win since the calendar flipped to 2020. They get back into conference play this weekend. Two matchups against Brown in a week, split up by a non-conference meeting with Howard. Likely three victories against two teams whose record is a combined 9-23. and St. Mary's rounds out the top five, a one-point loss at home for the Gales, who fall one spot. To be fair to them, it was always going to be a challenge against Santa Clara, and I know you probably didn't think you'd hear that this year. They haven't won more than 17 games in a season since 2012-13 and haven't finished above fourth in the league in 13 seasons, but... They've already got 15 wins, so not a horrible loss for St. Mary's, but not, nonetheless a loss, two of them now in the West Coast Conference early in the league year. There's your top five. Yep, and I think the most impressive bounce back was Liberty. I mean, and LSU, by the way, in case you're wondering, has not lost an SEC game. Wow. And they've been uh, steamrolling, folks. That's good news there. But uh, Yale had a couple of little stretcher. I think Liberty most impressive because they took – they were kind of riding that high, right? They were opportunity maybe to, to jump up and – all of a sudden, uh, LSU was just sort of steaming mad, maybe from the ETSU loss, and really laid it on them, and Liberty was able to bounce back and prove that they're a very good basketball team. Formidable, and then, of course, you're about to hit uh, the best uh, mid-major conference in America go. Yeah, it's basically the ET- uh, well, I was going to say the ETSU yes, it part is the ETSU of, the <laughs> of the mid-major poll. The SOCON portion of the mid-major poll from 6 to 9, ETSU, the Bucks a pair of close wins against UNCG and VMI, moves them up one spot. Furman, a narrow win for the Paladins over Chattanooga, and a blowout loss to UNCG leaves them as the big fall in the top 10 from 3 to 7. Then there's Kent State, the Golden Flashes, were golden last week, seven-point win over Toledo and a six-point win over Central Michigan. They're tied for the MAC West lead, our Central Michigan, so a quality win there. But the poll came out yesterday morning before they were upset by a 500 Miami of Ohio team by three, a three from Anthony Roberts to tie the game and send it to overtime. No good fourth loss for the Golden Flashes. So essentially, they're not going to be in the top ten anymore, Kent State. So if you take them out of this spot, really it's ETSU, Furman, and UNCG back-to-back-to-back. The Spartans, number nine, ETSU, came out of their, th- their three-game stretch against the other potential top three teams in the league, Wofford, uh, the Bucks and Furman, uh, well, that was UNCG's one and two, while ETSU came out two and one over Furman, uh, UNCG, and Wofford. That difference leaves UNCG two and two in the league, 13 and five overall. ETSU 15 and three, three and one in the SOCON. ETSU six, Furman seven, UNCG nine. Yeah, I think, uh, and other than the West Coast Conference, and we can always argue. We'll talk about they, that a little bit more later. We right, I mean, whether they are or aren't, but they are plentiful in the top 25, but still. You're looking at it in the top ten because BYU now plays. Most people don't know that, I think, because of your independent football. They play in West Coast Conference in basketball. Three of the top ten teams are in the West Coast Conference, and three of the top ten teams are in the Southern Conference. I have two West Coast Conference-related questions. The first one comes with BYU at number ten. The big matchup this past week in the mid-major poll was St. Mary's and BYU. Cougars came up three points short which is what kept the Gales at five despite their loss to Santa Clara. BYU does rebound after their defeat against St. Mary's by beating Portland by 26. The West Coast Conference, three in the top ten. Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU. SoCon, three in the top ten. ETSU, UNCG, Furman. Who do you take in a three-versus-three tournament of those six teams? Conference-versus-conference. Conference. Is, is it neutral side only? Neutral side only. Let's say it's in Minneapolis at the side of the Final Four last year. Okay, Minneapolis side of the Final Four. I would say Gonzaga would be a decided favorite against whoever you want to pick the top have to figure uh, whoever that is 
I think St. Mary's, which ETSU has played before, um, and BYU would be great games versus the other two. Um, and it's best two pro- out of three. So the, the, those the, would pro- be very the problem is you're almost booking Gonzaga. It, it may, do you think I'm incorrect by, by thinking Gonzaga is going to be a pretty decisive favorite over whoever they play? Well, they're a one seed right now in the NCAA tournament. They're the number to one. start today. Probably right? the number one overall because they're number one in the AP Top 25. Maybe they would get bumped to the third or fourth number one. But, but they're still a one, one seed. But if it's, it's best two out of three, so Gonzaga can win their one, but if the SoCon wins the other two, then the SoCon wins. Uh, that, 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 I think you're taking the SoCon. I, I am. I, but I, I'm just I, I'm thinking you, you know, you know that you're going to – so who, who, would, who would you do? Would, would you go by just a pure standings right now, which technically Furman would be – well, because I guess Western's technically on top. But if you look at the three teams, they have, they've all split. Furman, well, who do you think Furman the best ETSU, team ETSU, is? ETSU, UNCG, UNCG. Who do you think the best team is right now? Who do I think the best team is? Aside right from obviously now. ETSU, you know, you and me are going to say ETSU, of course. If you're to try and remove any I, blue I and think gold you, bias, I think UNCG is better than Furman. Okay, we can leave it at that because ETSU is better than both of them, right? So UNCG is better than Furman. So throw Furman, yeah, as the one against Gonzaga because they're the worst anyway. Wouldn't have any shot. Yeah, and then let's say ETSU would play St. Mary's. I think they beat St. Mary's. And UNCG BYU. I think that UNCG BYU game. Would I, be agree. I think that would be the rubber match. Uh, number eleven, Stephen F. Austin down three spots this week. A one point loss to Texas A and M Corpus Christi, ending their six game winning streak. Cameron Johnson misses in close to win it for the Lumberjacks. They pick up their third loss of the year. Here's Santa Clara at number twelve. We talked them up for their win over St. Mary's, but two days earlier, last Thursday, they got clubbed by San Francisco by nineteen. So a big win and a big loss leaves them at twelve, just like last week. Harvard number thirteen, no games last week with this long break in the Ivy League. They move up one spot anyway. Akron at number four. 14, the Zips zip up the zip up the pole, I suppose. Five spots. They beat the number two and three teams in the MAC West and are four and zero, standing at the top of the MAC as the only undefeated team left in it in league play. One game ahead of Bowling Green in the MAC East. Wright State, number fifteen, the only Horizon League team in the pole. They fall four spots after a four-point loss to Illinois Chicago. Number sixteen, Colgate, the Patriot League representative in the pole, up two spots to number sixteen. They've won seven straight, most recently against Loyola and Navy Lafayette. Tonight and Boston, you up next. Boston, number two in the Patriot right now at four and one. So regular season title implications in that one. Belmont, number 17, the OVC. A really good league last year, but just one team in the poll so far this year. It is top heavy, and there's a lot of teams kind of on the cusp of making that poll, you could say, at least in terms of their league performances. Murray State, Austin P, Tennessee State, Eastern Kentucky, Moorhead State, and Belmont, all three and one or four and oh. Going to be competitive again, you have to figure, at least in the poll, pacing the way right now are the Bruins, though. They've scored 85 or more in each of their last three games, including a win over UT Martin, former opponent of the Bucks, who are, by the way, now 5-10 and 10 on the year. Haven't materialized the way some thought that they would. Pacific, another West Coast Conference team, down two spots to number 18 this week. William & Mary, number 19, the highest-ranked CAA team, edging Hofstra by five spots as they move into the poll at number 24. William & Mary were number 25 last week. Big climb this week, six spots, thanks to wins over UNCW and Charleston. That Charleston team was the lone undefeated left in league play aside from William & Mary, but now it's just the number 19 team this week with their victory over Charleston. New Mexico State, two-step spot bump from 22 to 20 with a three-point win over UMKC. And here's another West Coast Conference team. Two mid-major ranked wins after San Francisco lost to Portland by 11 last week. The 19-point win over Santa Clara and a four-point victory versus Pacific on the road. Here's the second West Coast Conference question. It's becoming relatively clear, you have to say, that the WCC is not just about Gonzaga and St. Mary's with six ranked teams in the mid-major poll. 
Would you agree, or do you think because Gonzaga is still that much better than the other five and the rest of the league as a whole, that it is still about Gonzaga and none of the other five West Coast Conference teams still really matter in the grand scheme of things? The argument is still that it's not guaranteed that two teams get into the tournament. And it's a Gonzaga losing last year in championship game, which I think they threw it on purpose, to St. Mary's to get them in. So until it is that they get multiple teams in on the regular, they are still going to list them as a one, quote-unquote, one-bid league. And so we'll see. So in that case, you're, you're smattering all the West Coast teams out there. I think sometimes uh, – not sometimes, I think the league has – been propelled because of all the money that Gonzaga does bring in for all the runs and the deep runs and getting St. Mary's in, getting the second team. There's more money to spread around the league. I think it has uh, clearly uh, had the profile risen to West Coast. There's also a couple of teams, I think you mentioned Santa Clara, right, that play like literally every single game at home. Well, what kind of money are you working with to buy all those games? So they've made a conscious effort. Again, they don't sponsor football. They're throwing all the money they can get in the league to try to, to elevate that league. And I think if St. Mary's or somebody else gets an at-large without winning the conference tournament, get an at-large, and I think all the other mid-majors need to uh, hit my boy Joe Dwyer up and say, okay, it's time. Change it. Get them out of there. So I don't know what the consistency is because the A-10 complaints, they ain't in it, but they've got two or three teams in all the time. So I think that's the, the situation. Once West Coast gets in there, I think then you desperately need to get them move out. And I, As a leak. I, ha- I should probably apologize to Santa Clara because I did question the legitimacy of the 14-0 and home record and the fact that 14 of their wins while being at home were all 100% of the wins that they had on the season while they were 0-2 on the road. And then what do they do? They go on the road and beat St. Mary's and they have a chance to beat Gonzaga on the road, that being tomorrow night. But we'll get to that in a second. Number 22, Bowling Green, up two spots. Wins over Western Michigan and Northern Illinois allows them to keep pace in the MAC. Stony Brook to unranked in the America East after losing three straight tight games to Hofstra, Providence, and Virginia to back in the poll on the back of five straight wins, including a tight win at Vermont and a blowout of New Hampshire this past week. Hofstra, number 24, speaking of Hofstra, as we just mentioned, they also go from unranked to ranked. Number 24, they lost to William & Mary, by 27 in the first game of the year, this calendar year, but rebounded with a 27-point win over Elon, then a tight victory on the road against Northeastern. Vermont, speaking of Vermont, while their loss to Stony Brook allowed the Seawolves back in the poll, it decimated the number 25 team this week. Catamount's 24-point bounce-back win over UMBC did not matter to voters much because Vermont drops 10 spots from 15 to 25, the biggest fall in the poll. Lurking at the number 30 spot, Jay Sandos, fifth in the receiving votes category, Western Carolina. Seven spots behind them, Wofford. So you've got Sanford Wednesday for ETSU and Western Carolina, which I know it may be obvious to say now considering they're at the top of the league and it's going to take some adjusting to really think about a game in Cullowee having some significance in basketball. But this Saturday, it can be darn near a mid-major ranked win for ETSU. Well, it'd be interesting to see what the Catamounts will do because if the Catamounts drop that or drop DTSU, then, of course, they're not going to be ranked either way. And it's I feel like Western's under the bubble right now of they've won a lot of games, including myself, but are they for real? And I think there's been some caution amongst the voters because they're not traditionally in there, right? Same thing with ETSU football a few years ago. It was caution. When do we put them in the top 25? I know they have more wins than teams that are in there, 
but we're not used to seeing them. People aren't used to seeing the Catamounts up there. But if they – obviously, if they get two wins this week, right, at Furman against ETSU, they're going to be tough to, to keep out of not just top 25. They're going to be tough to stop talking about. But right now, the Catamount fans are basking in the glow that the uh, awful Joe Lenardi, who does no mid-major research and just says who's winning the league. Was Lenardi or was it Fox? Did he, did either he do one. it too? I don't know. They're yeah, both idiots. So, uh, uh, neither one of them pay any attention to mid-majors and just randomly who's the top of the league no matter what at the time they decide to do it is who gets the love. So, um, doesn't matter in the league who's beat who. Now, it works itself out towards the end of the year, but obviously if you're looking at that now, if you're a Catamount fan, you need to be taking pictures and tweeting it out and do everything you can. Uh, because you haven't had your name even mentioned on the line for quite some time, but certainly need to do that. So, any other top 25? Tomorrow night, Gonzaga hosting Santa Clara. Then Saturday, they host BYU. So, a pair of ranked mid-major matchups for the nation's and mid-major's number one team. Of course, the Bucks in Western, as we just talked about. Furman home to Western, that is tonight, and at Wofford on Friday. So, Furman, a couple of tough tests as well. And those are the big matchups this week and weekend. Really not a lot between anyone except for the West Coast Conference and the Southern Conference, who have to be, I think, if you two look best right leagues. now, the two best leagues in the major basketball. And I don't even think it's close. So, again, a couple of teams uh, knocking on the door. You mentioned uh, West Carolina, Wofford as well. So, we'll see what the league does. We'll see what Carolina's made of this week. Start tonight with our game against Furman. That'll do it for today's show. Join us Friday. We'll recap Sanford on the men's side. We'll talk Furman on the women's side. We'll preview the men's basketball game, West Carolina, the home game versus Wofford, and much more. As Santa's sidekick, we'll be back with you then on the Market Air Sports Network. See ya.